it may be a new year, but we're continuing our study in the book of 1 Samuel. So if you have your Bibles, you have a mobile device, go ahead and go to 1 Samuel chapter 12. Now, if you're all here for the first time or you're streaming for the first time with Oak Mountain, don't worry, even though you're uh, coming at a time when we're already in chapter 12, uh, we want you to know that, that this series is somewhat independent. In other words, you don't need to have heard the previous messages to feel like you can jump right in. The reason is, is because the overall theme is becoming a person after God's own heart, seeking after God's own heart. We get that theme from actually the passage we're going to be looking at next week, 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, where God says through Samuel, God has searched and sought out a man after his own heart. And of course, he's talking about King David. But what we're learning is that by God's grace and through his spirit, we too can become people after God's own heart. And this morning, we're looking at specifically how we can become people after God's own heart through waltzing. Now, it's the beginning of 2023, and how could we not kick off the year with a message on the waltz? Now, for those of you who are new, you're thinking, what in the world is the waltz? Well, a a waltz is a three-step dance to the beat of three, right? One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And the waltz with Christ is a three-step dance to transformation, repent, believe, fight. Repent, believe, fight. And God pursues us through the music of circumstances in our lives. And through those circumstances, he wants us to hear the music of the gospel that leads us in a dance with Christ to experience his transforming grace. Now, to give you an idea of the beauty of a gospel-centered life, the beauty of waltzing with Jesus. I'm going to show us a brief clip this morning. It's from an older movie uh, way back in 1994. Some of us here weren't even born. It's called The Shawshank Redemption. And it's about this young banker, Andy Dufresne, who was um, wrongly accused of a horrible crime. He's completely innocent. But he is sentenced to two consecutive uh, life prison terms, this is all fiction, at at a fictional penitentiary in Maine called Shawshank. Well, when, when Andy gets there, he initially is, is very despondent. You can imagine. There's no way out, and he's innocent. But then he begins to realize that though they can keep him inside of four walls, inside of uh, a prison with, surrounded by barbed wire, though they could confine his body, they cannot confine his heart. And he finds a way to always, with resiliency of heart, live in hope. And to look for beauty, even in the drab scene of the prison. Well, in the scene we're going to watch, uh, Andy, who's such a model prisoner, because again, he's not a criminal, uh, he, he has this cush job uh, working in the communication center. And, uh, but, but when he gets in there, when everybody else is outside doing exercise, he actually locks the guard in the bathroom. 
because he comes across a Mozart LP. It's the marriage of Figaro. And again, looking for hope and beauty in the worst of circumstances, Andy not only wants to enjoy the music, but he wants everybody in the prison to hear the music as well. And Samuel wants us to hear the music of the gospel through all the things that we feel imprisoned by and enslaved by. So watch this clip, and then we'll dig into the text. Where do you feel enslaved, imprisoned this morning? Few of us have experienced the coldness of prison walls or barbed wire. But how often we feel imprisoned by the brokenness of this world. Or the pursuit of evil. Or the relentless temptation that we face. Or even the habitual sin we can't seem to escape. The Old Testament church, Israel, experienced that through various kinds of indifference, disobedience, unbelief. They were imprisoned. So Samuel plays the good news of the gospel. Beautiful music that enables our hearts to soar into new heights of freedom. Let's all stand out of reverence for God's Word. Follow along as I read 1 Samuel 12, verses 13 to 25. This is God's Word. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now therefore, stand still and see the great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? Now, this is important you understand this. Wheat harvest is the beginning of the dry season. So God is wanting to reveal to Israel that he is the living God and that all the idols they turn after are empty and useless. And so God is going to do something miraculous by causing it to rain in the middle of the dry season. I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord, and asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God, that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil, to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. 
You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside after empty things, idols, that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, and I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king." May God bless the hearing and teaching of His inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative Word. This is God's Word. He gave it to us because He loves us. He wants us to hear the music of the gospel. He wants us to dance the gospel waltz and find our hearts increasingly free from the things that enslave us and imprison us. Let's pray. God, we ask you now to send your spirit. Open our ears to hear the music, to hear the beauty, and may we want to dance with Jesus to transformation. Come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So Samuel is playing waltz music for the Old Testament church and, because it's in Scripture, for the New Testament church as well. If you understand the paradigm of the waltz, this this three-step dance with Christ in grace, you will begin to see it all through Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. So let's dig in. Samuel calls us to waltz. The first step of the waltz is repent. Repent of the sins of of idolatry. So this, this whole chapter is about uh, God um, revealing to Israel that she was wrong. The Old Testament church was wrong in asking for a king. God was their king, but Israel didn't think God was enough. By the way, how often is that true of us, right? How often do we not believe God is enough? The problem is our hearts were made to be rooted and nourished through intimacy with God. And if we don't believe God's enough for us, we will begin creating counterfeit gods. We will begin looking for pseudo-deliverers to rescue us from emptiness, from loneliness, from meaninglessness, from insecurity, from insignificance. We are incurably religious. So when Israel forgot God and began to not believe that God was enough, she began looking for a pseudo-God, a pseudo-Savior, a pseudo-Deliverer like the other nations had, a king who would amass a large army so that Israel would feel secure because she didn't feel secure in God's protection. 
So we learn why Israel forgets and rejects God. Well, why she rejects God. It's because, look at verse 9. We didn't read the text, but it's in the chapter. They forgot the Lord their God, just like her fathers had done, just like the generations had done. Israel was forgetting God. It says in verse 19 that they've added to all their other sins this sin of asking for a king. Now, here's what I want you to remember. No matter what sin we commit, there is always a deeper sin beneath that sin. We have a tendency to look at fruit sins that tend to be behavioral sins. For instance, asking for a king when God was their king. That was a sin, and so we do need to repent of fruit sins, of behavioral sins. But Christianity is not a behavior modification faith. It's a relationship with the living God. And what needs to be changed, yes, is our behavior, but what really needs to be changed is our hearts. Our hearts tend to embrace a belief system that tells us constantly God's not enough. He's not enough for my identity to be secure. And he's not enough for, for me to find significance. He's not enough for me, for me to feel protected. He's not enough to give me happiness. He's not enough to bring me pleasure. He's not enough. So you begin to create counterfeit gods. Tim Keller actually has a book called Counterfeit Gods. And he describes this sin behind all other sin, which is idolatry, counterfeit gods. Take a look at this with me. Tim Keller writes that a counterfeit god is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. What comes to mind? What comes to mind right now that you feel that if you lost it or never got it, life would hardly be worth living? An idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. It can be family and children. See, notice many of these things are good things. When a good thing becomes an ultimate thing that takes the place of God, it's become an idol. It can be career and making money. It can be achievement and critical acclaim or saving face and social standing. It can be a romantic relationship, be you single or married, peer approval, competence and skill, Secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty or your brains, a great political or social cause, your morality and virtue, or even success in Christian ministry or the Christian life. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning, then I'll know I have value, and then I'll feel significant and secure. Folks, the only 
person that can cause us to feel worth, value, meaning, purpose, love, joy, pleasure is God. And if we allow any good thing to become an ultimate thing so that it takes the place of God, we commit idolatry. And idolatry is the sin behind every sin. Why does a child lie? It doesn't want to be exposed. At that point, feeling their own sense of worth through their own goodness is more important to them than anything else. Why do people cheat, financially or relationally? Why do people commit adultery? Why do people covet? Why do people commit any sin? Folks, it always goes back to idolatry. It always goes back that at that moment, something else meant more to us than God. And we didn't believe at that moment that God's heart was good and that he could meet my deepest desires. And since I failed to believe that God's heart to me was good and I failed to believe that God was able to meet my deepest desires, I looked elsewhere for the living water that only God can give. Every time we sin, it is always due to idolatry. So if the root sin of every fruit sin is idolatry, there's a sense in which then the foundation of idolatry is unbelief. We don't believe God is good. We don't believe he will do what he says he will do. And we really don't believe that idols are worthless. We actually believe they're going to come through. <laughs> okay, you talk about the definition of insanity Right, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result? We, we actually believe our idols are going to come through for us, even though they've never come through. Oh, there might be a rush of adrenaline, but ultimately they leave us more thirsty than when we turned to them to begin with. Look at verse 21. Uh, I'll have the ESV up there behind me, but the NIV is what I want to read. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you because they are worthless. Jeremiah 2.13 puts it this way. My people have forsaken me, the only fountain, and have hewn out, cut out, dug out for themselves broken cisterns, broken wells that can't hold any water. That's what happens when we turn to idols, to counterfeit gods, to God substitutes, to false saviors. We're looking for something or someone to deliver us from our emptiness and our pain and our insecurity and our insignificance other than God. Only God can do that through the power of the gospel in the Lord Jesus Christ. God alone can meet our deepest desires. Folks, this is why there are so many marital problems. Husbands are looking to wives to be their saviors, to deliver them from their pain and emptiness, and a wife wasn't meant to do that. And wives are looking to husbands to be their saviors, 
to deliver them from their insecurity or feelings of worthlessness. And husbands weren't created to do that. And singles are looking for relationships to deliver them from their sense of, of worthlessness and, and loneliness. And people weren't meant to do that. God alone can meet the needs of the human heart. So repent of the sins of idolatry. But we don't stop there, right? The waltz isn't a one step. It's not a bunny hop. Repenting leads to fresh faith in Christ, fresh hope. The people confess their sin in verse 10, verse 19, and then Samuel gives them assurance in verse 20. Don't be afraid. And then he says, yes, verse 20, you have done all this evil, but... Look at verse 22. The Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. As we acknowledge our sin, and we can acknowledge our sin, right? See, if your idol is to feel you are worthy to earn God's love, you're looking to your own worthiness your own righteousness, building your own record to bring to God, then you're going to guard that record and protect it whenever it's threatened. Therefore, you're going to be very slow to acknowledge your sin. In relationships, you're going to be very defensive. You're going to make excuses. You're going to blame shift. Do you see this in your lives? Of course we do. We all do. It's idolatry. Rather than looking to Christ for his record of righteousness that is given to us in the gospel, we're trying to maintain and establish and protect and guard our own. And so it leads to defensiveness and excuse-making and blame-shifting. And so Samuel says, don't be afraid. The Lord won't leave you. He won't forsake you. He says he set his love upon you because he chose to. In other words, Samuel's saying, you never earned or deserved the love of God. You didn't earn it, and you can't forfeit it. And so even as we acknowledge our idolatry, see, some people think, oh, Bob, you're, you're such a downer this morning. You're talking about our idolatrous hearts. I already feel, Ugh. No, it, it's actually seeing the enormity of your idolatry that leads to the beauty and wonder of Christ. You know why people yawn at Jesus? <sighs> you know why they yawn? Because they don't feel needy. They don't feel desperate. But if you get in touch with the idolatry of your heart and you see the enormity of your sin and you feel what Israel felt, oh, we're gonna die how can we stand before a God like this? And then the gospel says, don't be afraid. God has sent a Savior. Not only that, he sent a Savior because he loves you. And he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You, you can never do anything to make him love you more than he already does. And you can never do anything to cause his love for you to diminish. So don't be afraid. Keep pressing on. Yes, you've sinned. Yes, you will sin. Yes, it's because of idolatry. And guess what? You can't 
bootstraps your way out of idolatry. You see, it's, it's a deceitful belief system that makes us turn to idolatry, right? It's that sinfulness of our darkened minds that constantly tells us God's not enough and the belief system that some other counterfeit God is going to come through for us. And you can't change your heart to abandon that belief system. You can't do it. You can't study enough. You can't memorize enough. You can't read enough. All we can do is repent and believe the gospel. Repent of our idolatry and keep believing the promises of the gospel that if we do repent, God sends power in the form of the Holy Spirit to change our hearts that transforms our belief system so we actually begin to understand and believe the reality that idols are empty. They're useless. They're worthless. They cannot come through. And we actually begin to be changed by the power of the Spirit through grace, by the power of the blood of Christ. We actually begin to believe that God's enough. As beautiful as marriage is, I don't need my wife or my husband to save me. As beautiful as marriage is, I don't need to be married. As wonderful as a career is, I don't need it to feel successful. I don't need it in order to have an identity, value, worth. You see what I'm getting at here? And as you believe the gospel, the power comes. That's so important. As you believe the promises of the gospel, the Holy Spirit flows into our lives to give us peace, hope, joy, and to transform us into the image of Christ. But even still, we're not done. Repent of our idolatry, believe the promises of the gospel, but that's, that's a two-step. That's not a waltz yet. Repent, believe, fight. The third point is that Samuel talks about, we need to fight for the ways of the Lord. Twice in this passage, Samuel reveals what it means to fight for the ways of the Lord. Look at verse 14. First of all, it means this. Fear the Lord. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice. Fear the Lord, that means don't be afraid, right? That, that means to, to treat his word with reverence, with awe, with trust. And serve him, live for him, and obey his voice, follow his word. And then Samuel says in verse 23, I will instruct you in the good and right way. See, another part of our hearts that need to be changed that you and I can't change. We cannot transform our hearts. Behavioral modification does not touch the heart. Did you hear me? Behavior modification doesn't change the heart. Only God can change the heart. Only trusting God's promises of the gospel changes the heart. You can change your behavior. So can Mormons. So can Jehovah's Witnesses. So can Buddhists. So can Muslims. So can secular agnostics and atheists. Anybody can change their behavior. But nobody can change their heart. And so our hearts need to be changed so that we actually begin to believe that the ways of God and godliness and holiness in Scripture, as Samuel says in verse 23, is the good and right way. You know one of the problems that our teens are facing 
Parents, grandparents, get ready for this. The world is constantly telling them the ways of the world is good. The ways of the world are right. I, I see this in the lives of our singles all the time. Shack up. You got to experiment before you get married. How are you going to know you're compatible? See, that sounds so right in the world's eyes. But our hearts need to be changed to embrace that God's way is the good way and the right way. Our hearts need to be changed so that we're willing to fight with all our might. We're willing to strive. We're willing to make every effort to fight for the ways of the Lord, to fight to say no to sin, to fight to say yes to righteousness. And then I want you to notice how the passage ends in verse 24. Fear the Lord, serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. Do you see what he just did there? See what Samuel just did? He took all the things we're supposed to do. He took every call to obedience, and he grounded it in the promises of the gospel. Fear the Lord, serve him with your whole heart, for consider what great things he's done for you. It's all grounded in the love of God for you. What Samuel's saying is you never obey for acceptance. You obey from a position and status and standing of acceptance. You know, it's really like Romans 12. Romans 12, Paul says, Therefore, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do you see what he just did there? He said, I urge you, therefore, by the mercies of God, just like Samuel says, for, what Paul is saying in Romans is, I've spent 11 chapters, 1 through 11, talking about the promises of the gospel. In light of that, the first command to obey anything that Paul gives in Romans is, is, is chapter 12, verse 1. He grounds obedience in the love and grace of God. And Samuel does the same thing. Fight for the ways of the Lord because you're considering what great things God has done for you. The gospel motivation is the springboard to all obedience. The beauty of the music of the gospel is what brings freedom from the desire to sin. The old theologians called this the expulsive power of a new affection. As we fall in love with God's affection for us, it begins to free us from the prisons of our idolatry and the barbed wire of the ways of the world. What's really great is the Lord's table is actually a picture of the gospel waltz. The Lord's table is a table of blessing to which we come repentantly. We come to this table repenting of our idolatry. And then as we partake of the bread and we drink of the cup, 
We participate or partake believingly with faith. And then as we leave this place with new faith, with the Spirit of God activated and released in our lives as we participate in the sacrament through repentance and faith, then we are catapulted in new power to fight for the ways of the Lord. Repent, believe, fight. Repent, believe, fight. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, the gospel waltz. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these elements. We ask you to set them apart for holy use. We recognize they remain bread. They remain the fruit of the vine. There's nothing magical in these elements. But God, we do understand that by your grace, this sacrament offers to us the mystery of Christ in a fresh way. So Holy Spirit, come and be near. In Jesus' name, amen.